So he was talking about prayer real quick, or prayer there real quick, and so I wanted to share a story. Um, when I, so yes, like I said, I'm Dustin, I'm from Thrive Kitsap, and um, my wife is also, um, she's not here tonight because she's at a school, or, um, excuse me, she's in class at school. And I want to tell you the story of when we first um, started dating. So it's about a year into it because, uh, let's see, it was spring break, Actually, let me back up a little bit soon, a little bit longer ago. So Emily and I, we met at Thrive, here, in this room. Um, I usually was over here, and she was usually over here-ish somewhere, so that's cool. Um, and so that would have been, that's actually not true. We met at Thrive when Thrive was at Chapel Hill, but that's not important information. So the point is, we met at Thrive, and we started dating in July of 2014, and then I thought it'd be great. Hey, now that we're dating, I'm going to go off to school and be gone, which is a terrible idea. So I went to Western, and I was there for two years. The first year, we were dating, and the second year, we were engaged. Um, so this is like during spring break of that first year, just to kind of set the context. Uh, Emily and I and a couple other friends from Thrive, um, if you, and if you know Matt and, and um, I'm, this is terrible, Matt and Jenny Stoner, they went with us, and a few other people, and we went camping in Canada, right? Super fun, but this is actually a story about prayer. So the prayer part is, we took my parents' van. Now this van had been sitting for two years since the first year of Thrive, 2012, and it had died because the engine got dead, and um, a new engine had just got put in it, and my parents were on vacation, and so we thought, sweet, a van, fill it full of stuff, and go camping in Canada. What can go wrong? <clears throat> Check the transmission and check the brakes before you leave on a trip like that. Also check the weather, because spring break in Canada means rain. So Matt and I slept in our hammocks and had a cool little, like, uh, what do you call it? A tarp over us. I was super warm because I was on top. Um, and he was below me. It was great. Um, but we brought a tent for the girls, and it flooded. And then I lost my wallet with my parents' business credit card in it. And so that meant Emily had to drive the car. And the brakes are going out, and the transmission was going out. So to get from Canada all the way back here, there was one thing we did. We prayed really, really, really hard. Because whenever it would go up hills, it was not happy at all. It would yelp. And that, in fact, they stopped us at the border. And this, we passed it in the middle of the night because we were like, uh, we're tired of this weather. We quit. And so we left. And so we went through the border at like 11 o'clock at night, and they stopped us. And of course, we packed the cooler on the bottom of all the stuff in the back of the van, right? And you can't take eggs back from Canada or oranges. And so the dogs found it. And so we sat there for like an hour and a half while they dug out all that stuff. And we couldn't help or anything to tell them where the stuff was at. Nope. They had to dig it all out and confiscate it. A whole $5 worth, maybe. Um, but yeah, so that was exciting. But the point of all that is prayer. Um, we couldn't get home without prayer because, like I said, going up hills was super sketchy. And I live, or my parents live in a house uh, about a mile and a half that way that's at the top of a hill. And when we got up that hill, the van died. And it didn't move for another three months because it was dead, dead, dead. Um, <laughs> so the point of the story is simply pray. God responds and God does crazy things when you need him the most. Um, Sometimes that also means that you'll get picked up while hitchhiking because your car breaks down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've had like eight toes since we got married, so don't worry. It's okay to get your car towed. It's really fun. Um, okay. 
But that's not the point of tonight. The point of tonight is looking at the Bible. And let's do that. But before we do that, I'm going to pray. Uh, God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you that we can gather together and to worship you and honor you, God. Lord, I ask that you just give me the right words to say, Lord. We, um, we come before you expectant, and we come before you excited about your word and what you're doing here, God. Lord, I pray that everyone would not hear my words, but would hear your words. We love you, God. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So, you guys have been going through the book of Romans, right? Awesome. Good, I'm glad, because that's what I'm preparing for. <laughs> but tonight's section in Romans um, is pretty unique, and it's pretty interesting. I was poking around the uh, Thrive Gig Harbor website last night, and I realized, well, I read, that it said that chapter 8 is kind of like the Mount Everest in the book of Romans. It's kind of like the turning point. So there's all this buildup. There's all this expectation and excitement that's going to the point that we're going to arrive at today, which is really, well, not just today, today and next week, because there's more to the book, chapter 8 of Romans. So... I just want to set that up and encourage you to not only um, to just really embrace the fact of where we're at in the story of Romans. Um, and tonight we're really stepping into the story of God's interaction with humanity. And Paul says, or Peter says of Paul, that Paul says many things that are very hard to understand. They're confusing and they're really kind of weird. But tonight we're talking about an idea that's not super concrete. It is concrete, but it's, it's a little bit um, feelings-driven, which is exciting and super wonderful. So let's just jump into the scripture and look at it right now, because the more we talk about it, the more it's just like, what is going on, man? So that is good. All right. Also, I'm using a new Bible tonight, which is super exciting. Um, thank you, Michael. Um. <laughs> okay. So tonight we're in chapter 8 of Romans, specifically verses 18 through 27. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read it. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in order that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the firstfruits of the scripture, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he, searches our hearts, know, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, yeah, I like it. So, like I said, this is, there's this idea of groaning and longing in this passage that is super hard to just, well, it's easy to name, but it's hard to understand and really dissect what does that look like, what does that, um, how does that play out in our daily life, and so that's going to be something that we have to wrestle with tonight. Um, but before we get to that, we have the first verse, 
Now, the first verse of this chapter is um, pretty laden with um, lots of stuff from the previous section. So it says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So what sufferings are he is he talking about? What's going on here? So we're going to jump back a few chapters to chapter 6. Now in chapter 6, um, it talks about how um, we have been dead to sin and made alive in Christ. Um, I'm going to stop and pray again because I had an idea and it totally went out in my brain, so I'm just going to go ahead and pray. God, help me to focus on you, God. Help me to um, just honor you in what I say, God. Um, I ask that you just um, open, my, open up my mind to what you want me to say. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for your um, love. And would you just have your way tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're actually going to jump to uh, chapter 8, slightly before this. So in order to really understand what this passage looks like, we need to look at verses 14 through 17, which says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, so there's this idea of suffering in this passage that we have to understand. And so I think there's two kinds of sufferings that we experience as Christians. There's the sufferings we experience because of our sinful nature that tries to latch on to us and stay attached to us. And that's what I was referencing in chapter 6. Um, the sinful nature that, as we follow Christ, just still tries to stay alive and stay a part of our lives. That is not what, that is not what God designed us for. But then there's also the suffering with Christ. Now, in verse 17, it says, Now if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So there's also this idea of suffering for righteousness' sake. And so as Christians, as we follow God and live after him wholeheartedly, then we begin to experience um, naturally a kind of a tension. Because if we're living in the, with the kingdom mindset and with a kingdom outlook, um, our life will naturally rub against the sinfulness of the world. And so I think this is one of the major um, keys to understanding this whole passage because in order to understand what suffering looks like, you have to understand why you are suffering. And yet, Paul here says that the present sufferings we experience for living a righteous life and living a life united to the kingdom of God are not worth comparing to the glory that, be, that will be revealed. So then there's also this kind of a, um, two things going on. There's the suffering that we currently experience, and yet in the midst of the suffering, we look forward to the glory that is going to be in the future. And so as we look at this passage, we have to really wrestle with that tension that we currently are experiencing hardship. We currently are experiencing the things of this life, sin, broken down cars. Um, like he says in chapter 7, I do not do what I want to do, and that which I do, I do. And like this just wrestling with the sinful nature that won't go away. And yet, we are, we who will follow Christ, that is not who we are. Rather, we look forward to the glory that's going to be, what it's going to be when we... Um, 
when Christ comes back, we get to live in the kingdom of God, in the established kingdom of God. Um, many have called this like the whole now and not yet kind of concept. We are creatures of the glory yet to come, and yet we're living in this sinful world at the moment. And so in order to recognize and really understand what this passage is dealing with, we really have to think about this idea. What is that glory that's coming? What is that really like? So how did Christ suffer? Let's talk about that for a little bit. Anyone have any ideas? We'll get a little bit more interaction here. How about? <laughs> what does it look like to suffer for the kingdom of God? Death. <laughs> yes. Good point. Mm -hmm. There's like two kinds of death there too, right? There's like the initial death when we become, become followers of Christ, and yet there's also the, the martyr's death when we, um, if we are given the opportunity to die for Christ. What other kinds of ways do we suffer? Yeah, separation. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry? Yeah, isolation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ridicule. Yeah. Yeah, persecution. Absolutely. Yes. So I think we could just go on and on and talking, talking about what this, all the sufferings that we can experience. But what about glory? When you think of the word glory and you think about the glory that we're called to in this passage, what thoughts come to your mind? Exciting. Exciting. Yes, absolutely. Worthy? Worthy? Yeah. Hopeful. Mm -hmm. Peace. Yes, I want some of that. Mm hmm. Mm, new creation, yes, yes. Redemption, mm -hmm. absolutely. So I'm going to say that we should look at Revelation real quick. Let's jump forward to Revelation chapter 19. And I'm going to read just a couple little excerpts out of chapters 19, 20, and 21 to kind of give an idea of what this future glory that we're looking and longing for looks like. So chapter 19 of Revelation. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of the, a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who, are, who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. And skipping down to uh, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of King, Kings and Lord of Lords. I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. And then it talks about battle and war and stuff. All right, skip forward um, to chapter 21. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Remember that. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. How often do we think of that? How often is that a part of our daily focus and a part of our normal rhythm as Christians to put aside the sufferings and say, yes, like, I woke up this morning and I felt like crap and like had to go to work and it was really frustrating and people were pretty short-tempered with me, but it doesn't matter because God's glory is to be pursued and God is coming and he's coming back. Like how often do we just let the normal things of life and the distractions of life prevent us from seeing and focusing on that glory of God that is to come? So, yeah, we should do that more. <laughs> oh, man. Actually, do you guys like to do response kinds of stuff here at This Thrive? Yes, sir? Okay. All right. Let's do a little bit of something right now. Um, let's take a few moments and just pray. Let's pray that um, God would make that more of a part of our life and that um, we would live not only with... Uh, putting aside the sufferings of our daily life, but rather we would live with our eyes focused heavenward and for the glory that is to come. So let's take a couple minutes. Um, uh, David, do you want to start off and then I'll close in a couple minutes? Yeah, God, we thank you. Thank you that we can put our hope in you. Um, God, I ask that you just continue to give us um, perspective that... Uh, just focuses on you, God, and like lives in light of eternity and lives in light of your coming kingdom, God. Um, help us to follow you and honor you in all we do and all we say. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Boom, boom. So let's continue. So chapter 8, verses 9 through 22. 19, excuse me. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who created it, in hope that the creation itself would be, will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. So this is kind of a crazy, crazy passage of scripture. The whole idea is that creation is groaning for all of us who follow Christ to like live into our identity as children of God. Like that's crazy. Like that's super crazy. The whole idea is that there is a connection between creation that is now subjected and is subjected to frustration and decay. So there's also a death element. So when we were talking about uh, suffering earlier, we mentioned death. And so here creation experiences death because of sin that was brought into the world. I think one of the interesting things about this passage is in order to understand this whole passage of scripture, we kind of have to have a good understanding of how the story of the Bible works. And the whole idea that sin entered into the world, that like at the sin of Adam and Eve, um, sin and death and brokenness enters the world and doesn't just affect them, but rather affects all of creation. And I think that's something we don't think about very often because, let me jump back a little bit. So, what was Adam called to do when he was first put in the garden? 
Tend it, yeah. To steward the earth, right? So now, God never told Adam not to do that anymore, even after he sinned. So I think one of the things that this passage is hinting at, is talking about, is the whole idea that creation has been disturbed and destroyed, and we have been called to steward it, and now, now it's broken, and we're still not stewarding it super well. Um, and so as people who are called into the kingdom of God, we are call, called to steward well creation. And so we could take this down that whole creation care line and like talk about what does that look like? How do we care for the earth well? And all that stuff. But that's not the point I'm getting at. The point I'm getting at is that creation longs for us to be restored to our true identity as sons and daughters of God who are going to live into that identity and take care of what is around us. Um, and that, yes, that means each other because we are all creations of God, but that also means the earth and how we live in it and affect it. So, yeah. I think the crazy part about this, too, is it talks about um, this idea of groaning as in childbirth. Has anyone here given birth before? <laughs> right? I don't think we really know what that feels like or looks like. Um, but there's this idea of incredible expectation and pain and like this desire to have fulfillment come, have release, have freedom from this. <laughs> but there's also a joy in that as well. Um, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so just the idea that creation is still longing for this. Okay, so I was, in preparation for today, I found a book, and the book happened to have a couple of sermons on this same topic, and I was reading through it. Now, the book is kind of old. The edition I was reading was like published in 1907, and the, it was originally published by Martin Luther, which kind of gives you a picture of how old this, these sermons were. Um, and Luther was saying in his, I guess, sermon on this, um, that creation in its original design was intended for people living in right relationship with God. And so he had this whole idea about how whenever creation is serving people who are not in line with God, it's a misuse of creation. Um, and I thought that was just a really interesting point, and so I thought I wanted to bring it out with you and um, tell you about that. But Jesus also talks about this idea in Luke chapter 19, verses 39 and 40, as he's going into the city and the disciples are saying, um, like, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there, it's the triumphal entry passage, right? And the Pharisees are, like, Pharisees are like, hey, your disciples are saying things, and we don't like those things. Tell them not to. And Jesus' response is, if they don't, then the rocks are going to cry out. And so I think that's a great example of how um, creation is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to follow him. There's like this desire for return of perfection and a return to communion with God, a return to Eden, if you will. And so I think that's something just to point out, that creation is longing for the return and Christ and the return of unity and um, relationship with God. But Mm, yes, yes. So hold on to that idea and think about this idea of longing. longing. Let's continue to hold that idea and imagine what it looks like um, to be longing for something. Actually, do any of you have good stories of longing for something? It doesn't have to be a good story. It could just be a, an idea. <laughs> yes. 
That's okay, we'll come back to that idea. We're going to be keeping this in our mind. All right, let's continue in verses 23 through 25. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So creation groans, and we ourselves groan for this reality, to, be, to enter into the adoption of, as sons and daughters of God. The redemption of our bodies. We also hope for Christ to return, and we eagerly look forward to that. Now, there's two pieces to that. There's like the hope aspect of that, this looking for something that we don't have and eagerly seeking it. But then with that, it also mentions patience. So this idea of we want this, we're seeking this, we're looking for this, but we're also patiently waiting for it. We're not being obnoxious about it. We're asking God for it, but we're not being obnoxious about it. So when I think about longing and think about waiting for something to return, one of my first thoughts um, naturally goes to Lord of the Rings um, because that is what my childhood was steeped in, Lord of the Rings. Um, how many of you have seen Lord of the Rings or read the books or anything? Have a familiar idea with it? Okay, cool. So you know who Aragorn is? All right, awesome. So for those who don't know, Aragorn is a ranger from the north. And um, he carries around with him, at least in the books, um, a sword. And the sword is broken. And so when he fights the Nazgul on Weathertop, he's actually fighting with a broken sword. It's super cool, but not in the movies he doesn't. But he actually is, just so you know. Um, and the whole idea behind that is that he is an exiled king who is awaiting the return to his kingdom. He's waiting to come into his inheritance. And he's not the only one who's desiring that, but all of the people of Gondor are also desiring that, or at least most of them, whatever. Um, <laughs> also the ghosts, people, they're also desiring that. Um, they just don't know it. Um, sorry, spoilers, I should have mentioned that. Um, and that's actually, um, that's where that poem, all that glitters, all that is gold does not glitter, not all those who wanders are lost. That's talking about Aragorn coming into his inheritance. It's super cool. Look it up. I was going to look it up and I forgot to. Or rather, I didn't keep it up on my phone. Um, sorry. But this whole idea is that there's a desire for the return of the king to come into his own and to seek and restore things that have been broken and lost. Um, I think another great example of a people who are longing for things to be restored rightly is the entire Old Testament. So we've talked about it a little bit, but when Jesus came, the Jewish people missed him, like primarily at the beginning. They all missed him. And it's kind of ironic because when you read through the Psalms, so many of them are looking forward. When you read through the prophets, so many of them are looking forward to the king who will come back and restore things to the way that it was supposed to be, the way it once was. There's this longing for Christ, for God to return and to live into his kingdom. And I don't know how many of you have ever like sat down and read an entire book of the Bible in one sitting but reading Romans in that way, or reading any books of the, or many of the books of the Old Testament, you get that longing, that desire for restoration. And it comes out incredibly strongly, especially in the Psalms. If you include Psalms in some of your daily reading kinds of habits, you get this idea that like, there is this deep longing. Things are broken. The world is not as it should be. And as we talk to our friends, like 
outside of Thrive and in the community, they also have a longing too. There is this longing for restoration that's at the center of all of us. This God-shaped hole that people are talking about, this is a longing for things to be restored and for our relationship with God to be restored. And when we think about longings, yeah, how many of us have spent time like just scrolling Facebook or whatever your favorite website is of choice? Maybe it's Netflix, maybe it's a shopping website. Um, I don't know what it is. I mean, but like, what are we doing on there? But looking to fulfill a void, looking to buy something new that will fix that shaped, that God-shaped void in our heart. Um, when really that expectation should be more of a part of our life as we look towards God to return. I'm going to read this same passage again real quick. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So continue to groan inwardly. Continue to seek God. Um, and you put aside your phone and stop looking at Netflix and um, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Facebook is a life killer. I kind of hate it um, because it kills my life. Also YouTube. Um, I'm not here to hate on technology, but sometimes I'm just like, technology sucks. Um, yeah. Uh, let's continue on to this last section. <laughs> in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Okay, so what have we seen so far? The suffering we have is not worth the glory to come. Thought one. Thought two, creation is groaning for us to come into our inheritance and live as children of God. So creation's groaning. Thought three, we ourselves are groaning in expectation and hope for the same idea. So there's lots of groaning going on. In fact, thought four, the Holy Spirit is also groaning as we pray and seek God. Because sometimes when we're praying, I don't know about you, but I get distracted and lost, and I don't know what to say. I'm just like, God Ah, ah, and I'm like, Holy Spirit, I need you to interpret because I don't know what's going on in my head and my heart, but you do, and you're a better interpreter than, you can speak better than I can, help. So let's talk about prayer for a little bit because like prayer is super important. What are some ways that you guys like to pray? Wait, wait, wait. Yes. What was the first one over here? Ah, yes. Amen. <laughs> prayer journal, yeah. Music? Yes. Prayer walks. Someone say hot dogs? Yes. Korean Bible prayer? Nice. Is that like everyone prays at the same time kind of thing? Nice. <laughs> I hope you do that. Yeah, it's a good one. Just be careful of the setting you do that in. Anyone else? Yes, absolutely. Alone? <laughs> yes, yes. But I think something that we should recognize and wrestle with is just the idea that prayer is an important 
as we follow God, talking to him and communicating with him is an important part of our life and should be an important part of our life that's not just a when we can fit it in kind of a thing, but is a part of our daily rhythm. Um, this last year, Emily and I have really come, become a little bit obsessed with the whole idea of rhythms of life. Um, part of this is just because some of the books we've been reading talk about it, but learning how to structure our life in such a way that the daily rhythms increase our, excuse me, the daily rhythms um, enhance and push us towards God is something that we've been really talking about and thinking about um, and struggling, let me say, struggling to actually make a reality. Um, but prayer and finding times to pray in different kinds of ways is super important to do in your life. Um, I've tried to start doing a prayer journal kind of thing. It is super hard. Like, I kind of hate journaling, but it's a good skill and um, discipline to practice. So if you like discipline in your life, you should do a prayer journal. It's good stuff. Um, but getting back to this passage and jumping into what's really going on here, so many times we try to pray and we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us. Like, how relieving is that? God, um, when you follow Christ, His Spirit lives inside of you, and that acts as like a universal interpreter, but instead of like a universal interpreter, it's like a direct line to God, and He interprets what we're trying to pray. Like, I don't know if we really understand that. That, like, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. Like, that's stuff to get excited about. That's stuff to, like, freak out about. Why don't we pray, wake up in the middle of the night and just start praying and thanking him for that? Because that is so cool. Yeah. Um, and he, hmm, yeah. Just get excited about that. That's all I got. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think there's an invitation in this passage an invitation to prayer, and an invitation to a kind of prayer that looks towards the glory that is coming, that looks towards the return of Christ, and an eager expectation. Our prayers are filled with that kind of belonging, that kind of a desire, a desire that says, God, my things are not as they should be. I am not as I should be. Thank you for your grace. Like, build your kingdom here. Maybe this is called kingdom-oriented prayer. I don't know what you want to call it. You can use whatever name you feel like, but just recognizing and praying like in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, prayer should affect our life and how we, how we live and how we think. I think of this one monk whose name I can't remember, but a book I read one time, who, as he was doing dishes, he was praying. As he was gardening, he was praying. Every aspect of his life was oriented and directed to be a thing that drew him closer to God and drew him and his longing for God in the right direction to God. <laughs> and so I think there's an invitation in this passage and an invitation to all of us to just look at our lives and say, God, this is where I'm at today and you're calling me deeper. Um, I'm further along than I was yesterday, but I'm not where I should be right now and I'm not where I'm going to be tomorrow. And so as we go into small groups tonight, as we do all the things we're going to do, as we go into tomorrow, I just invite you to think about and really talk to God about this um, longing and desire for his glory to come, his will to be done on earth as is in heaven. And in fact, yeah, let's just take a few minutes before we go to small groups to again just pray and to recognize that as we pray, Sometimes we try to say things, and it might come out funny, and that is okay. You have the Holy Spirit to interpret for you. And 
Just pray prayers that are directed toward God returning. We don't know when that's going to be. Maybe that's tomorrow. Maybe that's another thousand years. Who knows? But our eyes should long for the return of God. Um, so I've, I have a big family. And all of them have lived in Washington State pretty much for the last 120 or so years, or 150 years or something like that. And my great-great-grandparents or my great-grandparents got on this kick. They're like, you know, I'm not going to buy life insurance. Do you know why? Because Jesus is coming back. And in the end, that came back to um, be a hindrance on their descendants. But we should live that way. Like, <laughs> live in such a way that we're like, yes, your will, God, your kingdom come today. Like, I'm in it for that. Like, yes, we should build and plan for the future. But also, our eyes should expect the kingdom of God to return today. The glory of God to be revealed. And not just in the big things like, boom, the clouds open and Jesus returns. But also in the little things. Alive, transformed. Um, someone coming to know Christ. Um, all the things that, <laughs> someone growing and no longer needing spiritual milk, but rather eating spiritual meat. <laughs> but like growing up, transformation and truth to be in our life. Yes. Um, so let's just take a few minutes and again, just pray for the, um, pray with a desire for God to come. I guess that's all I'm saying. <laughs> Do I have a volunteer who'd like to? Actually, I'll go ahead and start, and then um, we'll close somehow. God, we are so thankful for what you've done in our lives. We're so thankful for the ways that you have transformed us, God, the ways you have taken our mess, and you have um, just directed it towards you, God. We are so messy, and we are so in need of your grace, God, and we thank you right now for your grace. We thank you for your goodness and um, your love, God. God, give us a perspective that sees you. Give us a perspective that sees your coming kingdom, God. Help us to live in light of your glory and live in light of your, your kingdom, God. Yeah, Lord, change our hearts. Change us, God. We need you. God, we just submit ourselves to you. We're so thankful for what you've done in our lives. Continue to lead us and to show us what steps to take. Show us, God, how to be faithful to you in the little things and in the big things, God. We worship you. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So one more time, just to kind of summarize it all. Sufferings, whatever. God's glory is coming. So don't look at yourself. Look at God. Thought one. Thought two. Creation is longing. Thought three. We are longing. Thought four, the spirit is longing. And what are we all doing? We're all longing for the glory and the coming of God, the kingdom of God. And um, that's all I have. So I guess we're done. Um, and we'll go to small groups somehow. <laughs>